Welcome to Say That, podcast for your big questions, your real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Oh, yeah. With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Hello, hello. Jed went into a, a register I don't know that I've ever heard before for the Oh, yeah. I enjoy that. Just, Very crisp. Thank you. You know what I'm doing is because I'm I'm sipping on club soda right now. Oh. Oh. So I didn't like even know you taste- remember. Well, that's the thing yeah. is my taste buds have been transported to an elite social club, you know, or an elite dance club. I don't really know mm-hmm. which or the difference. You honestly, should figure out but... which one is which. Otherwise, that's going to be very embarrassing. <laughs> well, I, I I recently became um, a uh, a partaker of the YouTube TV. Okay. And, um, and I've been watching sports on YouTube TV, and they have that very cliche – um, kind of announcer for certain commercials, sure, and on, on some of the commercial breaks, but it just takes me to uh, it takes me to like uh, movie trailer Jed or like certain commercial break <laughs> Jed, yeah. Where it's just like you know, it's just like flaming hot Cheetos, you know, whatever, <laughs> like whatever the guy's announcing, like it's like, or it's just like you know, Geico Insurance, and it doesn't oh, yeah. sound. It just sounds like like. It's so over the top that I'm like, is he like, did he exist in a realm before there was like good EQ? And so he's like found a way to make the mic not misbehave or something like, because there's certain things about really old recordings where like, like you find out, like you listen to certain like Motown songs and they pronounce words with an S H where there's only an S because they're trying to, they're actually just trying to bypass the, uh, you know, the, the sibilance yeah. in, in the performance. Yeah. Right. So I just wonder about this guy, whether he's just like, you know, he's just like peanut M&Ms. Like, is there a thing that <laughs> I, just, I just, but, but every single time I hear this guy give, uh, uh, you know, anything, all I think about is movie trailer Jed. <laughs> well, you know what you've got me wondering? It's like, I wonder for that dude, like, if like literally that's the only way he knows how to talk. And so even in like really tender moments in his life, <laughs> oh, like that's, that's what comes out, you know? And, and yeah, you know, like he, he, he told his wife they would take out the trash and he, he forgot and she's, you know, understandably kind of annoyed about it. And, you know, he's trying to be like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry it won't happen again, but it comes out. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. You know, like, <laughs> That's got to make relationships difficult, man. So, Jed, you're, you're you're pitching a world where, as opposed to this being a person who is like a voice performer, and they kind of mm-hmm. do this because that's what I call for. This is just the only way this person can communicate, and yeah, they just found this one niche. So they're like in therapy, and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's right. I was raised in a very high performance environment, and I think that gave me <laughs> trust issues. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's like, but well, yeah. we'll deal with that. But also, um, I think I might have a job opportunity for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, but not, not only in the therapy office, but just like, you know, he's, he's online at a, at a fast food restaurant. He's like, I would like a strawberry shake with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would watch this TV show. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It also makes me wonder. In in that world, as opposed to like auditioning people for certain uh, voice roles, you just have to get the one person whose voice always sounds like that. Like yeah, you can't do yeah. the ASPCA ad. 
He can't do oh, like something that's supposed to be yeah. very like every five minutes in America, a dog dies. Like, no, <laughs> not damn me. I mean, <sighs> that's not. <laughs> Who's the other great. guy? Can we call the other guy, please? This oh, is our gosh. fault, Dan. We. We we call, we sent the wrong email, and this is we're gonna pay you for the day. It's gonna be fine, sure. but we can't air this. Sure. <laughs> would you like me to read the March of Dimes copy? No, we wouldn't, Dan. We would not like that in any way, shape, or form. Let's just move on. <laughs> but like, even in real life, it's just like somebody bumps into you at the post office. Hey, pal, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, you can you can see where this would you know cause a lot of a lot of problems and consternation, right? And uh, I, I think we've got the makings of an amazing story. Like, I think this would be uh, a <laughs> can't miss. He starts everything with the phrase "in a world." That- <laughs> Even in just normal life, like talking to his kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, in a weird way, this transitions uh, neatly into our emergency segment. Oh. We have some preaching clips oh. that we'd like to ah. play for the people. But Uh-oh. the first one is a ge- is a gentleman talking about Chick Fil A, and you'll see what I mean when you when I tell you that he has uh, a very distinct uh, Southern preacher cadence. Mm. And it doesn't really work for this, but I'm wondering maybe he just like got locked into it, and now this is the only way he can talk. <laughs> yeah yeah that that feels right like kind of similar we were talking to you know he, he goes into the mechanic and like i was on the way to work and i was my brakes were struck down by the forces of evil the brakes need to be rejuvenated the pads need to be refilled the rotors need to be freed of their impurities and like i was like so your brakes <laughs> Don't forget to bleed the brake lines. Bleed <laughs> the brake lines, my brother. Exactly. So, uh, and the thing this guy's describing is even dumber than brakes. We'll play the clip, but uh, the 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 the, the um, caption for this tweet uh, is: "Pastor doesn't understand the miracle of Chick Fil A." Ah. Oh. I don't understand how I can take a dirty bird and I can rip its feathers off and I can batter it in beautiful sauce on both sides, throw it down in peanut oil that's boiling at 325 degrees, put it under six minutes of high test pressure and bring out a beautiful Chick-fil-A sandwich. But just because I do not understand it doesn't mean I'm not going to partake in it. Honey, tonight I don't understand how God became man and I don't understand how man can go meet God but Jesus said I am the way I am the truth I am the life and no man will come to the Father but by me so as you've heard for a certain, for a person who claims not to understand the miracle of Chick-fil-A <laughs> he does know exactly what it's fried in the temperature and how long it's fried which I'm very concerned how this gentleman knows this yeah, I know a lot of and it, you know, it's a nice place to meet people whenever and a lot of pastors spend a lot of time at Chick-fil-A. But if you know how long your chicken sandwich is getting flash fried for. Maybe go to Wendy's just occasionally. Yeah, <laughs> well, it, as a food nerd moment, it's also worth Please. noting. The, I don't I don't understand. I don't understand. Like the science of frying things is actually very well understood. 
Like yeah. this is one, like the idea of like, there are ineffable mysteries of God that are beyond human uh, conception and, and you know, must be received as articles of faith. Therefore, like that's a thing. And that's really worth considering. That is fundamentally different from a thing that is understood by a large group of people and can yeah. be expressed to you. And, and apparently trained, you know, in, in, in the, in the sense that thousands and thousands of people wearing red polo shirts across the nation. That's right. Actually fry these sandwiches. So that they taste exactly the same, whether you're in Topeka or whether you're in Maryland. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of 16 year olds <laughs> with very chipper attitudes understand this process. It would be their pleasure to understand it. And by the way, Chipper teenagers with Old Testament homeschool first names. <laughs> yeah. Hezekiah knows exactly how long you need to fly, fly <laughs> this piece of chicken. Dude, I got to give it up because literally that was the first name I went to. Well done. <laughs> well done. I feel like we've done, been doing this long enough that we have a Rolodex of like, there's the, the old school, old, old Testament homeschool names, but it has to be outlandish enough that it's not like, yeah. Just a normal name, like Josiah is. It's kind of one, but it's not there enough. I've yeah. got, I've got you. I got you guys beat because this All is right. an actual thing that happened. I'm at the, I'm at the local Chick Fil A in my town, and I saw a bless, bless his heart. He was a little too old. Um, you know, he he was born before the historical thing happened with the first name that he was given by his parents. Uh oh. Okay. But his his no doubt. Listener, take a pause and think for yourself. What could this be? <laughs> this was this is a this is a very white young man um okay. who was running the register at the local Chick-fil-A who whose homeschooling uh parents named him after the Hebrew word for blessing. Does anybody uh, know what that word is? Is that Barak? Barak. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely bef- born before 2008. Yeah. And you could see it on his face. <laughs> Yeah, and that takes us back to our, our confused friend here, because, you know, Jed is mentioning other things that are actually mysteries, so I, I did remember, you know, the passage in Proverbs 30, it says, there are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand, the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, the way of a man with a young woman, you think those are, you know, we kind of figured out ship on the seas, but he was writing it a long time ago, so, right. yeah, it's, it's big and made of wood and it doesn't sink, that's kind of amazing. Chicken sandwich, just not really, doesn't really hold up. It's the pickles, Matt. It's those two pickles. Yeah, that's it. Ties it ties the room together. I don't, what I don't understand about Chick Fil A is sometimes uh, if you order a sandwich plain and you, the pickles aren't on it, it still tastes like pickle somehow. And I'm not exactly sure how that can happen, but I'm sure yeah, there's I- a non uh, mystery of the universe explanation. That's right. Well, I mean, other, of course, than than the involvement of, you know, demonic and angelic forces, which demon pickles, (laughs) dude, I'd try demon pickles and I'm not even lying. There's got to be a like habanero infused pickle called demon pickles on the market. Episode title warning. Okay, so there there doesn't appear to immediately be a um, a product with that name, but there should be. But there is one of the greatest images I've ever seen in life that I am now sending to our group chat. Yes. You have in. got to see this. This will be fun for you, the listener. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> oh, wow. Right. Podcasting is a visual medium. I'm going to give this a shot. What we have Holy is a, a very angry looking pickle. 
with uh, fangs. And horns! And horns. Blood coming from the fangs. It appears to have a a pentagram that it has carved into its own head. (laughs) (laughs) Standing in front of a pentagram on fire. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. That's a demon pickle right there. I mean, it, it could be none. It could wow. be nothing but. Yeah, I don't understand how a dirty <laughs> bird can get a demon pickle. Yeah, we we really got stuck on the dirty bird. He knows they wash the chicken, right? <laughs> no, no, no. That's where the flavor comes from, Matt. Like they, they, I don't, and I don't know what kind of rural part of America this gentleman's in, but they grab a dirty bird and they pluck its feathers, not at the Chick Fil A. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nope. There, there's no way Barack is pulling the feathers off that chicken. Yeah, they're not just snatching them from a pen out back. <laughs> Gosh. You come into the restaurant, they bring a chicken to you. This here's Timmy. You're going to be eating him soon. <laughs> we didn't ask for this. Stop doing this. Which minor prophet do you want to name this chicken after before we pluck it? Why do we have to name it? It's part of the process. <laughs> oh yeah, man. This is this is great. I agree for all this. That's right. It's, this this Chick-fil-A franchise got really weird when it was bought by this fundamentalist cult. <laughs> now everything's about loss. Oh gosh. <laughs> You have to kill your own chicken because something to do with Abraham and Isaac. I don't think they understood that story. (laughs) No, my face hurts. And that's how we know we've done a nice emergency. (laughs) So with that, we're going to move on to your own fine questions. If you have a question for us, now it's all the way to the end. I have some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll in your episode description, click the links you find there. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, have I not really forgiven someone if I still feel angry about the situation? Okay. An excellent question. Uh, you know, a very complex topic. But uh, Jed, where do we start off here? It's a great question, and I'm really glad that you asked it. And I think the answer is, in a weird way, it depends. And what does it boo, depend upon? Nuance, yeah, boo. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Make a sandwich analogy. Yeah. Explain it via sandwich. How you could be wronged and still angry. Uh, So, yeah, the first thing that it depends on is to recognize that at this point, different groups of people define the word forgiveness very, very, very differently. Um, There are within, especially kind of within evangelical Christianity, there are people who, functionally speaking, their definition of forgiveness is forgive and forget and pretend you weren't hurt by it and this can have no impact at all on this relationship and you just have to sweep it under the rug and pretend like it never happened. Like they might not tell you that's what they think forgiveness is, but that's exactly what they think forgiveness is. So you've got, you know, one group of people that would say that you've got other groups that would define forgiveness very, very differently than that. And so um, whether you can have forgiven someone and still be mad about what happened that kind of depends on how you're defining forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you how I define it. You don't have to agree with me on this, but it's what I do. I think this is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about forgiveness. So there's that, but you know, for, for what it's worth, 
when you look at what Jesus said about forgiveness, the first thing that's important to recognize is that he is often using financial terms. Yeah. He is he is often using terms that are about money. And if you have loaned somebody money and they owe it to you and you realize they're trying to not pay it back and you have two options, you could either pursue them, right? Like you could file a lawsuit, you could contact the police, you could hire a collections agency. These are remedies that you could pursue to get your money back or you can decide I'm gonna let it go. I'm I'm absorbing that loss. I'm I'm writing off that amount of money. I am I am letting it go. That's actually I think what Jesus is pointing to when he talks about forgiveness. And the interesting thing about that is well there's a lot of interesting things about it, but one of it is that has almost nothing to do with your feelings about the situation. Yeah. You're you're evaluating a situation and you're deciding on a course of action. But whether you feel great about it or awful about it doesn't really enter into whether or not we've we've forgiven this situation. And I think that's actually really helpful because I think your feelings are likely to vary a lot. Because um, one of the interesting things about the feelings that go with having been wronged is they're a lot like grief. And grief tends to feel different every single day. I don't think grief feels the same very, very often. And sometimes when, you, when you're grieving, you're angry and sometimes you're sad and sometimes you think everything's funny for no reason. And I think that a lot of the feelings that accompany the process of forgiveness are actually pretty similar to that, where they kind of jump all over the place. I'll give you an example from my own life. So in the last year, and this is a really easy example because it's directly parallel to that financial language. In the last year, I had a vendor um, that I needed to do some work with professionally. They came highly recommended. Um, you know, I knew their work. I knew people had worked with them. Uh, they were literally recommended to me. And so, and they wanted to be paid in advance, in advance, which is pretty common with some kinds of work that I do, which is no problem. And then they just ghosted me. Like we talked a couple times and they just straight up ghosted me. And I know they're alive. I see them online and I, they're working on other projects, but they just straight up ripped me off for money and not, not like a huge game changing amount, but not nothing either. Just, and so it kind of put me in this moment of recognizing, well, what, what can I do here? And so I, I messaged them a number of times of, Hey, just checking in and golly gee. And, um, you know, and I, I kind of filed the, the, Payment system is one where I can't demand a refund, but I can request it. And so I, I requested a refund, which they ignored. And then I actually I went to the person who had recommended them to me and I was like, hey, I'm not asking you to do anything. I just want you to know that this is the situation because uh, I wouldn't want other people to have this experience as well. And they uh, they're like, man, I'm so sorry. And I had no idea. And I've you know never seen them act this way and blah, 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 blah. But at a certain point, I kind of have to decide. There's nothing else that I can do that I want to do. I don't mm. want to take this person to small claims court. I don't want to hire a collections firm. I don't want to contact the police. It's not a question of whether those are, would be just moves or appropriate moves. I don't want to do them. I don't, want, I don't want to live a life for me where I am doing those things over this, so I'm not going to. I am declaring that money gone. I wish it weren't. But I am declaring it gone, and I am accepting that, and I'm moving on. Yeah, that's it. That's forgiveness. I have I have pursued this as far as I want to, and then I have decided I am letting it go. That's it. 
if that sounds to you like the most wildly unsatisfying answer on the planet, I feel you. I don't think forgiveness is hardly ever satisfying in the short term. Mm. Like, I know that we're all supposed to, like, you have that moment of forgiveness, and then it's like this huge rush of tears, and it's the, you know, the release you've been looking for. And, dude, if that happens for people, I think that's awesome. I don't think I've experienced that very often with forgiving people, um, personally. Uh, maybe that comes later, which would be really, really cool. I think the the thing of it is how you feel and what you want to do are two separate things. And if someone has ripped you off, if they've mistreated you, if they've taken advantage of you, you're probably going to feel pretty mad about that. And trying to make yourself not feel the way that you feel doesn't work very well. And I don't I don't think it's very healthy. The really, really good news is you forgive people. Yes, it's the morally right thing to do, but it's the morally right thing to do because it's best for you. Because you're not carrying those burdens anymore. Part of why I don't want to be the guy that's taking the guy to small claims and all that stuff is, man, that's gonna, I'm going to have to fuel that with my own righteous indignation or something. And I just don't want to spend that emotional energy on that. So I, I'm, I'm going to forgive this person for me. Like, they don't even know that I've forgiven them exactly. And they probably feel like they got away with their thing. And, and isn't that the worst indignity at all? I don't care. I'm forgiving them for my own sake because I don't want to think about this anymore. And I just, it's time to move on. That's actually what forgiveness is. And the feelings that you have are going to vary quite a bit one day to the next. Over time, I think they will probably fade a bit, but that is a separate part of the process. I think that's a really, really strong place to start that off. Lee, where do we take it from there? It's fantastic. I agree with all of that stuff that Jed said. And in fact, I'm looking at my kind of own show notes here and just like, man, that's I was going to go to the exact same place of the debt and all that stuff. And, and it's such a great way to talk about this because it's the, I love where Jed ended this, where, which is that the forgiveness piece is for me. Yep. We need to make a distinction between forgiveness and rec and relational reconciliation. Those are not the same things. Jed touched on this at the very beginning of his response, but we need to, we need to deal with that as well, which is, that I can forgive your infraction, which basically means I'm deciding not to come after you, or in the way that you hurt me, we're going to take it outside of the realm of debt. In the way that you hurt me, I'm not going to come and hurt you back for what you did to me. I I can decide to do that, which is the forgiveness piece, but I can also set up a relational boundary that says we are not reconciled relationally because you have broken my trust. You can forgive someone who has broken your trust, and you can remain relationally in a place where the trust is broken. Both of those things can happen at the same time. I do not have to stay in a relational space with someone I do not trust, but I can, for the sake of my own emotional health and for the sake of my own energy, as Jed's described it, I can decide to forgive you, which is I am not pursuant and making sure that you hurt in the ways that you hurt me. That's very, very important. Um, I'll dive into a little bit of Bible nerdery real quick. Um, In the New Testament, the word that is often used for forgiveness in a lot of Jesus's stories, and in some of the the things that Paul talks about in the book of, uh, in the, the two letters to the Corinthians, is the same word that both of those guys, Jesus and Paul, use to talk about the the uh, to talk about divorce, um, it's a word. Literally, the Greek word is the word "untie," 
Like you untie something and you release it. And uh, so sometimes the the word divorce, if you look in certain in certain translations of the New Testament, it will be uh, the the phrase in the English language will be to send away. That's what the word forgive literally is. Um, if we think about it in terms of of what divorce means, let's, I'm just going to talk to you for a second about my parents' divorce. So um, my parents got divorced uh, 21 years ago. Um, they do not have a relationship now. They are not friends. They do not hang out. Uh, my my daughter, who's a senior in high school, is about to be in a theater production of uh, a stage play, and my dad, um, in which is a in a totally relationally appropriate text message, reached out to me and said, "When is your mom going to come see the play? I would like to go to a different performance." Completely appropriate, because they're divorced. What uh, to combine those ideas? with what Jed has already said, is if I forgive you, I have sent away, I have divorced myself from me being pursuant of uh, getting you back. And so when those emotions occur to me, I am going to feel them. I am going to feel upset. I am going to feel hurt. I may feel betrayed. All of those things. I am making a decision. I'm not hanging out with those emotions. I am not in a relationship with. Uh, with the the decision to get you back, uh, I, I I feel things towards you. I feel hurt. I may feel betrayed. I may feel pissed off. All, all those things. I am not acting on that and getting into a relationship with getting you back. We are not in a relationship anymore. I I we've broken up. And so use any of the breakup language that you want to there. Like it's not you. It's me. I'm not calling you back. I'm not following you on social media, all those things. That whole long thing to say, um, there is a massive difference between what is biblically um, evident in what we would call forgiveness and what is biblically evident in what we would call emotional or relational reconciliation. They are not the same thing. They are mutually exclusive. Let's not get those twisted. Let's not put those in the same category. Sometimes when you forgive somebody, that is a road to relationship reconciliation. Sometimes when you forgive somebody, that is a road to your own mental health while you remain in a place where you are still emotionally severed, relationally severed from that person as a, an appropriate boundary in a relationship where trust has been broken. I think it's all fantastic stuff from these guys. A couple of uh, things I would tackle on the end here that are going to add into this kind of gray area that we're talking about here. And one is a, a an important step, and maybe it's the whole as far as you get, and who knows, uh, with forgiveness is I'm not thinking about this thing all the time, therefore I'm not mad at this person all the time. But when I think about the thing, I am still mad. But yeah. I'm working on th- <laughs> yeah. not thinking about it constantly. That's... That's good. That's progress, as they would say. And uh, the the other aspect of that is, <clears throat> you know, you specified in your, in your question, if I still feel angry about the situation, there is also can be in some ways a depersonalization. I, I am mad this person. The, the, the first step and a perfectly reasonable one is I'm mad this person did this to me and I hope they get hit by a bus. And yep. then you can kind of if you scale that down to I'm mad this person did this to me, but it would, you know. 
I would not want them to get hit by a bus because that's not a nice thing. That, again, progress. We're looking at progress there. Progress mm-hmm. is going to be the the goal going forward as you kind of work through the 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 end game that these kind of guys kind of gave you there. We'll move on to our second question here. It comes in and says, a lot of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, talks about the strength of the Lord and calling on his mighty name, etc. It seems like most of the people I see claiming to do that are on something very weird. What does it mean to do that in a real way? A another very, very interesting question. Glad you wrote it in. And Jed, where do we start here? It's a great question. It's good stuff. I agree with you that there are things that one hundred percent are in the Bible and are legit in the Bible, and whenever I encounter them in real life, I'm like, oh, you're a weirdo. You just given me a huge clue. Um, <laughs> so uh, red flag, as the kids say. Yeah, totally. To- like the number of things that, again, in the Bible are legit and I get it. But like if I encounter them in the wild, as it were, it's like, oh, that's a red flag. I am out. Um, so I'm with you. I, is that I get a shofar it. in the flesh? Dude, that's, huh? That is number one. <laughs> ooh, that is ooh, number ooh. one. Not saying it can't be done in a non-weird way, just haven't seen it. (laughs) So uh, what does it mean to do that in a real way? Okay, so here's what I think, and hopefully it's useful to you. No one ever accomplishes anything significant all alone. Nobody. Mm -hmm. Every significant victory, every notable victory in your life and in the world, it's always a team effort. One of the great lies of our time is the the idea of the lone genius who just by themselves and with no help and no support, they just turn the world on its ear. That doesn't exist. Wow, man. Yeah. Yeah. In a world. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, I know it's entertaining and it's dramatic, but like, um, that's just that's just not how life works. And once you know that, right, once you're aware that team victories are are basically always how any victory works, um, that can become a strength uh, because you stop expecting yourself to do everything. You stop expecting yourself to be the person that can make it all go. You recognize you've got strengths, you've got talents, you've got insights, you definitely have things to contribute, but you contribute them to a team um, and that the team can work together and, and, you know, accomplish and and implement really amazing things. What does all that have to do with God? One thing that I strongly believe is that God would love to be on a team with you. Mm. Mm. That God would love for you to have a life where you and he are a team. And like any really good team, the team can do things that, um, wouldn't be possible outside of the team because it's, it's a team victory. Then that's how victories work. I think for many, many, many people, I might go so far as to say for most people having some sort of team element with a higher power in their life makes otherwise impossible things possible and otherwise very unlikely things, realistic and achievable. It's certainly been true in my life. Um, you know, like, I I can tell you for sure all the good stuff in my life is a team victory. Um, I can tell you for sure that um, the cool stuff in my in my personal life is stuff that has been built by me and my wife. It's it's not you know it's not one person. And the 
the most important things in my life and the longest lasting are things that have been built by the team of me and God. And um, that's been super amazing for me. And I imagine it would be super amazing for you, too. I, I think it's worth investigating it for sure. Um, you do not, however, have to describe that as doing things in his mighty name. You can you can just get to know God and be on a team with him and do cool stuff without all of the weird performative baggage. That doesn't sound right, but he makes a good point, <laughs> I think, overall. And Lee, where do we take it from there? I love it. I, I love where Jed's taking this. I love the team thing. I think he made me think about um, a place. I believe it's in Luke chapter 10 when after Jesus has been on the scene and doing a lot of healing and a lot of amazing teaching and spreading the good word and people are getting fired up about it, then he sends out um, other folks in these little groups to go do the thing. And they come back and they're really, really excited. And he doesn't say to them, yeah, that's because I was involved and I have all the power and all the whatever. He just celebrates them and says, well done. I saw amazing things happening because of you. And I, it, all of that, everything that Jeb was saying there was just resonating with the heart of Jesus. It's just like, yeah, there's, there's some stuff that you can't do by yourself, and I want to get in there and do it with you, and then I want to celebrate you. And that's, so that's, that's really, really cool. For me personally, I think the, the place where this intersects with my own life is, is just in recognizing um, times where, honestly, like, either by my own kind of, like, volunteering or shooting my mouth off or God's put me there, I don't know, but I wind up in, in situations and moments when I realize, oh, crap, this is over my head. Um, like, I, I wanted to do this thing, and now the moment's too big. And so I just find myself kind of, like, panic praying for something that I don't have, which is just, like, I'm I'm just I'm I'm compelling God to give me access to some composure or poise or words or help or um you know ideas or whatever the moment requires when I've just I've just found myself in over my head whether that's like a a prison ministry thing or some you know with a bunch of high school kids that I'm way too old to be cool for or um, you know, uh, some kind of speaking engagement and whatever the situation is and experiencing receiving that help. Now I, I can't pin that down for you. I can't explain it to you. I, I can't uh, talk you into it. I'm just telling you that in my life, there have been moments and times where I found myself completely in over my head and I have appealed to God for some resources and some energy and some poise and some composure and some help and some words that I do not have access to and tapping into a resource that I did not have and being provided with that. Now, again, as, as Jed's saying, and as, and as Matt is saying, I didn't go home and describe that experience to Christy or to my kids as, and behold, the mighty arm of the Lord <laughs> descended upon me. Like the way I usually describe it is, man, I was sweating and my hands were shaking and I thought I was going to lose it. And I like literally just, I, I, I just kind of prayed like, God, get me out of this scrape. I found myself in a scrape and uh, I made it. 
and it went it went great. Like, and and so that's kind of a maybe that's kind of a lame way to describe it, but that's been my personal experience of I appealed to help outside of myself, and I received it, and I yeah. I experienced the kind of teamwork that Jed's describing, um, with someone I believe is there who wants to team up with me and do cool crap that's cooler than I could do by myself. And I've experienced those moments. So that would, that would be my encouragement to you listener is like to, to anyone that, and question asker is like, man, however you want to say it. And however the psalmist, um, you know, described it, I have found myself in over my head, appealed to help and found help was available and resources were available. And I, I, I made it out the other side sweating and pumped and energized and whoo, we made it through that one. And that's kind of my, that's been my experience of that. Great stuff from both of these guys on that. And I, I really like kind of Lee's last point there, which I think is a very important one and something Jed touched on as well. So there's doing the thing and then there's talking about the thing. And in this <laughs> instance, a lot of, a lot of church stuff. That's the second one where people tend to get in trouble um, because, you know, <laughs> Some version of calling on the name of the Lord or, you know, the Lord's strength. All good. That's, that's all fine. That's, that's all lovely. When, you know, we, we talked in the last episode about kind of anything said from a stage or anything said on a screen is going to have a performative aspect. There's pretty much no way to use the phrase, the Lord's mighty name to another human being without that having a, a strong performative vibe. Yeah, I don't think you can even say those words, Matt, without your southern accent coming out. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. An A gets mashed in the word "mighty" somehow. Like uh, immediately, you like you're getting close to once again talking about the Chick Fil A sandwich. Yeah, is there There's a dirty a, bird involved here? Well, there was until we called upon the the mighty name of the Lord and peanut oil. Ah, well. Well, you baptized the dirty bird with the peanut oil in the mighty name of the Lord. Darn At 325 team. degrees. <laughs> That's right. No more, no less. But so, again, it's one of those things where you say, oh, the, the people who talk about this are weird. Yes, definitely. Um, but I think this is, a, is an interesting situation where the doing of the thing is a little less weird than the talking about it. Um, because... Calling on strength outside yourself, as you guys point out, it's kind of something everybody believes they do. And if, if you're in a Christian belief structure, that's going to be, you know, the power of, of the Lord that you're doing that through, which is, is fantastic. But then there's the talking about it, which in my experience is almost 100% people trying to convince me, the outside party, about how amazing their thing is. Now I should buy into that. But almost never about the actual thing they went through, as, as Lee points out. When And I've been in a privileged position, as both these guys have as well. To hear a ton of stories of, of times where people say, you know, I've really you know, dug into something deep, or I felt like the Lord really got me out of that, but it never has the, and then we called on his mighty strength. No, and it's always like, and then I was about to start crying because I didn't know what I was going to do, but then I thought, maybe I'll say this as a last resort before crying, and it worked. Yay. Hooray. That's, that's a little more of a, the tone we're going for. If you're wondering how to do that, I believe in your question, in a real way, that's in my experience, I think Jen Lee joined that. That's what real sounds like. <laughs> I had a guy. There's a there's a guy that plays in our band at church, and he was commenting on a couple weeks ago. I was speaking, and somebody had moved my notes, 
Um, I'd left them laying around or whatever. Somebody had moved the notes. To sabotage you, I assume. Yeah, I guess so. And and uh, he was talking to me later, and he was like, "Dude, when you talked about your notes being moved and you had to look for them and everything," and he said, "I'm just telling you, if that had been me, I think I would have crapped my pants and run home." <laughs> <laughs> and that's always like, Plan B. That's that's the way that more Christians should talk about the way they got out of their scrapes. Was well, you know, then I crapped my pants. Yeah, and yeah. you know, then. I called on the Lord's mighty name and the cleaning power of Clorox. I all got where we were going. That's right. Fantastic. All great stuff there. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I get very frustrated sometimes. I feel like it really costs me a lot of happiness. How does God want me to deal with this? Uh, another fantastic question. We appreciate you writing it in. And Jed, where do we start off here? Great question. And I love how does God want me to deal with this? Because I, I think there's actually some really good literal answers to that question. Handling anger and frustration are skills that you can learn. There are tools that you can develop that will help you do that much, much, much more effectively. They're not things that you just inherently know by being born, and they're certainly not things you inherently know by being Christian, but they are skills that you can learn. And the beautiful thing about skills is you generally get better at them as you practice them. So it's not just that you know how to do them. You become more and and more effective at doing them. The first one that I would encourage you to look at and and kind of contemplate a little bit is, are you able to sense when you are becoming frustrated? Yeah. A lot of times when folks struggle with with anger or with extreme frustration, um, frustration plus plus, when people are, are struggling with that, oftentimes part of the root of the problem is they feel like they go from zero to enraged without kind of sensing anything in between. And once they're that level of, of mad, there's just, I don't, I don't know how to come back down from that. So if we can learn to, uh, to sense the process when we are becoming angry, um, man, that's probably going to help a lot. And again, that's a skill you can learn. Uh, and if you're interested in more of, about that, that's kind of one of the, the core things about anger management is, is that, awareness. And so if you do a little Googling related to anger management, you you should find a lot of good stuff about that. But I said a moment ago that, you know, people will realize I'm enraged and I don't know how to come down from that. And that idea of coming down from it, that's actually the second thing that's a skill that you can learn. You are doubtlessly familiar with the idea of something being soothing, you know, like whale songs are soothing. Um, I, I hear there's a certain color that's a, a soothing color. Lee, does that sound familiar to you? They say taupe is very soothing. Oh, oh, I heard that. I heard that. That's good. So that's an example. It's soothing, right? And that means it it helps people calm down. One of the most important skills in life is learning how to be self-soothing. It is learning how to calm yourself down, learning how to bring yourself down from a heightened state. Uh, and that's that's not like psycho babble mumbo jumbo. Like that's, that's an incredibly important life skill that literally everyone needs that actually people don't talk about very often. You 100% need the ability to self soothe. You 100% need it. And it's a skill that you can develop. What exactly self soothing will look like for you. I don't know because I think different things work for different people. And that's a really, really great one. If you have access to a good therapist or, or a good counselor, that's a really good one to talk through is, is I need to develop some skills to work for me for self soothing. But 
hear me, you can get better in both of those arenas. You can absolutely get better at recognizing when you're becoming angry and putting on the brakes and in self-soothing. The last thing that I want to encourage you to think about is, is really – this is not so much a skill thing. This is more of a, uh, a philosophy thing. Is there a part of you that believes that the frustration in and of itself accomplishes something? In other words, do you feel like the accomplishment – do you feel like the frustration, does it motivate you? Do, you? do you feel like it gives you a sense of urgency in your life? Does, does the anger give you a sense of purpose? Um, does the, the rage and kind of all of the stress hormones that go with it, does that give you a sense of, of power and importance? These are all things, whether they're grounded in reality or not, these are all things that track, that make sense. Some people like being angry because it makes them feel powerful. It makes them feel in control. Right. It makes them feel like they're not weak. I know people who absolutely rely on getting frustrated as a way of motivating themselves to do things that they feel like they couldn't do otherwise or to, to, to act quickly on things. And I think what's worth asking is to say, if you're using frustration and anger to fill any of those kinds of roles, A, it's going to be a lot lot harder to let go of it because, you know, there's, there's a reason that you're doing it. But the second is to say, I bet you can find better motivations and better tools on any of those. If you're looking for power, I think there's healthier ways to experience power in your life. If you're looking for a sense of urgency or sense of purpose, I think there's much, much better ways to curate that. But you'll kind of need to acknowledge first, I do need things that help me to feel powerful. And I do need things to give me a sense of purpose. If you'll, if, mm. if you'll acknowledge that, then you can figure out better, healthier, more adaptive ways to meet those needs. But we kind of have to start by admitting that we have a need. The good news is your question is admitting that you have a need. So you're already on the right track. And the more specific that we can get with uh, talking about what our needs are, the better we can learn to meet them. A great, great place to start that off. Lee, where do we close this one out? Really awesome. Really awesome stuff there. I, I, I want to go back to one thing that Jed said earlier. He was talking about the uniqueness and individuality of you. And the thing that's important there is realizing that whatever it is that I need to do, it's not going to look like what anybody else needs to do necessarily. And that's where the the awareness that Jed's talking about and all that stuff is going to play into just the unique situation of whatever it is that triggers your frustration. A lot of times, um, one of the things that uh, psychologists will tell you is that in many, many situations, not always, but in the majority of situations, anger can be a secondary emotion. So there's something else that I'm feeling and that is uncomfortable, whether that is like shame or embarrassment or, you know, uh, you know, like a, some form of cowardice or something like that. Those kinds of emotions are always negative to feel. They're always negative to experience. There's no positive anything that those emotions can give you. So what the human psyche will do then is to compensate the person who's feeling, you know, shame or embarrassment or whatever with anger and frustration because anger and frustration actually do, they, they do have a benefit. They do feel good to, yep. to get a good anger on is to, to get your blood up. And then, and then you convince yourself that you're right and you are, it is appropriate for you to be this upset and everything. And actually what I'm doing is 
I'm compensating myself for the very negative feeling of embarrassment. So really, you know, dumb example from middle school, you're walking up a flight of stairs, there's a ton of students there with you, and you do that thing where you don't quite put your foot completely on the stair, and your foot slips and you trip going up the stairs. One of the most annoying things to experience as a middle school human being. But you trip going up the stairs, several people begin to laugh, and you react with rage at the people around you. Well, the anger, obviously, in that situation is a secondary emotion. You're actually embarrassed. There's no upside to embarrassment, but there is an upside to the feelings of anger. There's some adrenaline involved with that. There's some energy involved in that. There's a heightened heart rate involved with that. All of that stuff feels a lot better, and it feels more self-righteous, and then you can talk yourself into, those guys are jerks for laughing at me. Whether or not they're jerks for laughing at you can be debated because it's pretty funny to watch somebody fall up the stairs. <laughs> but um, but what, we, what we've done now is we've compensated ourselves for, for something that's much more uncomfortable to feel. That goes all the way back to where Jed started us with the individuality of assessing uh, being aware and assessing what is this I'm frustrated about. Is it possible that I am compensating with anger and frustration for an uncomfortable emotion like shame or embarrassment? That's the kind of, that's the kind of thing where, again, we need to go back to a, another really important point that Jed said, which is therapy and a, a counselor and having conversations about really digging into what is the situation in which I am having these reactions of frustration and anger? Because I need to actually dial into with some humility, like what is happening? Because do I have something to be frustrated and angry about? Or am I embarrassed by something? Am I ashamed of something? And I'm compensating with those over those very uncomfortable human emotions which are understandable, by the way. I'm not, I'm not picking on you at all. I, I do the exact same thing. Am I compensating with something that actually does feel good, which is a self-righteous indignation, um, where I'm putting on an anger to, to mask all those things? All of that is just a deep dive into exactly what Jed's talking about, which is taking the time to be aware of what I'm feeling and to do the work to say, can I take an honest and humble look at exactly what I'm going through, why I'm frustrated and angry, and then can I come up with some strategies for coping? Uh, I'll add this on as as a last thought. One of the biggest things that uh, Christy and I have tried to deal with our kids on throughout all the stages of development, we we have kids that at this point range from uh, 20 years old to 15 years old um, here in a couple weeks. Um, and the, their whole lives, one thing that we have, you know, tried to help them understand and and come up with strategies for and techniques for is in your life, every single day, something is going to be disappointing. How do you cope with that disappointment? You're not always going to hit the bullseye on that, but let's start coming up with, with, with strategies for that every single day. It it might be something as simple as like, oh, the water was already hot from the tap and it burned my finger. And that was frustrating. Um, Now, how do I deal with that disappointment? Or I was was carrying my coffee and I bent down to grab my keys that dropped on the floor and I spilled some coffee on the floor. 
it could be something that small, or it could be something like you didn't get the promotion that you were hoping for, or you didn't get the grade that you were hoping for, or whatever. You didn't win the contest that you were competing in. How do you deal with disappointment and frustration? You're going to have big ones or little ones every single day. And how do we cope with those? And how do we deal with those? It's worth it to go ahead and walk yourself through some scenarios and some strategies, whether that's, I got, I've got certain words, I've got certain breathing techniques, I've got certain things that I do to cope with disappointments, big and small, and I'm willing to do the work to dive into my frustration and anger and to find out if I'm coping or if I'm, uh, you know, compensating with some other emotions that are just kind of uncomfortable to feel. Great stuff from both of these guys on that. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. You want to keep that entirely anonymous. Take out this song this week. This is the latest release, Roan, Jed Brewer. Yeah. The same as me. Check that out. Be one of the several thousand people to check that out on Spotify. Join the club. Get in on the ground floor. Same as me. Take out that. Thanks for listening to this one. We love you. God bless you. There's nothing you can do about it. Listen.